Tonight we continue looking at what God's purpose is in the cross from Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 39. And uh, we are going to, to uh, focus tonight on verses 33 and 34 of Romans chapter 8. And uh, girls handing out an outline, so if you want to follow along, uh, that will help you see where we're going uh, with this message. But let's uh, listen carefully to God's holy word. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Let's pray. O Lord, our great and glorious God, we thank you that though you are holy and righteous and pure, yet you are also merciful and kind and compassionate, and that you have shown your love to us in such an amazing way by sending your Son into this world, not simply to live here, but to suffer and to die in our places, to experience the shameful death of the cross, to be buried, but then to triumph over death on the third day, to ascend into heaven, and who is even now there praying for us as we pray to you. And so, Lord, we come in his name. We come with his authority to seek every blessing that you have promised us in your word. We come to seek the Holy Spirit and his power to work in our lives, to teach us in the same way that he has taught us by giving us this word so that we might glorify your name, so that we might have greater consolation so we might have greater love for you, that we might have greater love for one another, we might have greater patience in this world, and greater strength to serve you and to do great things for your name. And so we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage tells us that whatever things may seem like, whatever difficulties, whatever trials, whatever war, whatever sickness, whatever cancer, whatever person we lose, that we need to believe that God's purpose is for good, even through those hard things. He says his purpose for us is good, to do us good, to make us like Jesus, and to bring us to glory. That is his purpose. And he has given us his promises, which Just knowing who God is, is the one who cannot lie, who is perfectly pure, that should be enough for us, but he's given us so much more. He gave his son to say, I will give you everything. If he gave up the thing that he valued the most, how will he not with him give us everything else as well? That's what Paul deduces from the fact that the father has given us the son to suffer the terrible death of the cross, that cursed death, to die and to then rise again. But the one thing that even if we can say we believe the promises of God, we can trust them in spite of the fact that things aren't going as we would like because we believe the promises of God, the one thing that might make us doubt that God wants to do us good is our own sin. The fact that our conscience tells us that we have not merited life and blessing from God, but we have merited the wages of sin, which is death. And you see, 
as we look around us, this world is a world that is filled with judgment and condemnation. I've, for, for some reason, what's brought that to my attention is how my kids talk about being with all their peers at school. And one thing that is very evident to me is that people, that middle school and other, and other schools are places of condemnation. That they say, you don't wear the right things, you don't look the right way, you haven't done the right things, and if someone steps out of line, there's quick condemnation that comes. If you don't hang out with the right people, if you're not doing the right things, it is a place of condemnation. And it's also true in the adult world. That's probably why a lot of adults, as soon as they have the opportunity, try to get away from as many people as they can. We will, and especially in this country, we build our houses and make sure we got a little space between them. And if we live in an apartment, we want to get into a house, right? Because it's, it's a world filled with condemnation. But you know, the fact is that even if we get away from everybody, even if we get away from society, we can't get away from ourselves. And there's something within us that tells us, that condemns us. And that's not without reason. Because we have done wrong things. We have not been what we should be. We are not what we should be. And these are things that, that we can see in ourselves and upon reflection talk about. We just need to think a little bit deeply about the Ten Commandments, about the things that God commands, and we'll see that we are not what we are supposed to be, and we have done, indeed, many things contrary to that. And so, we also, in light of that, it almost seems astonishing that the Apostle Paul raises the two questions that he raises in these verses. And that'll be the first point of uh, we want to see tonight. We're going to look at the questions, then we'll look at the answers that the gospel provides. So the, the questions that people raise. So Paul here is kind of speaking for his audience, saying this is the sort of question they might ask. So the first question is found in verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Now, remember, so he says, who will bring a charge? And the, and the answer to that is, it would seem to be, all kinds of people will, Right? Actually, all kinds of people bring charges against God's people all the time. There's people who will condemn the people of the church. There's people who will condemn us. We'll con- we condemn each other. We bring charges against each other. The world is bringing its charges against us. And Satan is called the accuser. That's what his name means. He's the Satan, the accuser, because he's bringing up the wrong things we do. He's bringing a charge against us. And so... It seems like a strange question. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? And similarly, he asks in verse 34 the second question. Who then is the one who condemns? Now the meaning of condemnation is to say that someone is in the wrong. That someone has done something wrong. That they are guilty. That they are not righteous. That they are a sinner. That they have sinned. And so when we ask Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Or rather, who then is the one who condemns? We can say, 
that guy and that guy and that guy and that guy, they're all saying condemnation, right? It's everywhere in this, in this world. But as we already noted, that even if we don't have Satan, the world, the church, our friends, our family condemning us, we know that our own hearts condemn us. Because if we are serious about analyzing our own activity, then we can see our sin. That's what the Apostle Paul had said in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He said even the Gentiles who didn't have the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Bible that we had, their own consciences accuse them or excuse them. They have something within them that will say whether they've done right or they have done wrong. And for everyone, when we give serious account of that, we're going to find that we have sinned. As the Apostle Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, in a way, we should say our heart should condemn us because we have done what is wrong. We should be condemned. We should be declared guilty because we are. And what is the, res- what is the punishment that is due to those who are guilty? The wages of sin is death. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. So it's an interesting qu- that the Apostle Paul asked these questions. They, at, fir- at first blush, they don't seem really that helpful in getting us to a place where we're in comfort. But he's trying to get us to think in these categories, right? So let's look at, though, the comfort that he does bring by looking at our second point, which is the answer the gospel provides to these two questions. So the first answer is, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. Now, you, you can be forgiven, um, pun intended, if you don't immediately find that totally comforting. It, it, it's not, at first blush, exactly the most comforting word is God who justifies. And let me explain why that is the case. So in order to understand this, um, you need to understand the meaning of the word to justify. To justify. Um, this is really important, my friends, and full of consolation and blessedness and happiness if we understand it. One thing I would encourage you to do, we have such abundance of resources here, is to have some sort of, um, is to have some sort of commentary on the Bible that's reliable. So if you have a, you know, you just ask simple questions, you can go to that commentary but also to have a systematic theology, a reputable systematic theology. And what a systematic theology is, it sounds really intimidating, but basically all it is is saying, we look at the major topics in the Bible and we tell you what is the whole Bible saying about them. That's really what systematic theology is. And so one of those big topics is justification. And so if you, if you have a systematic theology home, if you want me to help you find one, I'm happy to talk to you about that. Um, or if you prefer to read online or whatever, I can, I can help you with that too. And so, if you read the systematic theologies, they always begin by trying to clarify what does it mean to justify. And so, here's the simple definition of to justify. It is to declare righteous. To declare righteous. It is the opposite of condemnation. Condemnation means to declare unrighteous, to say you're wrong to say you're guilty. To, ju- to justify is to say you're in the clear. You have done what is right. It is to declare righteous. 
Now, I've asked this question before, and it's kind of a trick question. But you got, so, well, wait, before I ask the question. So what does it mean to justify, right? Can everybody say it with me? To declare righteous. All right, so let's see where we are on this question. Can you justify God? Can you justify God? Yes? Everybody think yes? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. No, okay, so if, if to declare righteous is the definition of justify, then can you declare God righteous? Yes, yes and you should, right? You must. You, that is your obligation. Luke 7.29 says that the, that the tax collectors and sinners justified God. What that means is that they said that he was right when he told them that they need to repent and be baptized. They said, you're right. That's to justify, to declare you're in the right. You're righteous. You're saying the right thing. They justify God. So we actually could say this. In a way, we have to justify God before we can be justified by God. In other words, we've got to admit that he's right in telling us we need to repent before we can embrace Jesus Christ. And then having Christ, we're declared righteous. So this is really important. That's what it means. Now, once you understand what that means, then you may realize when it says, who is he who condemns? Then you realize this may not be that good a news. It is God who justifies. God's the one who declares righteous. Well, who's he going to declare righteous? The righteous, <laughs> right? He's, he doesn't lie, right? He's, if someone does what is right, he will declare them to be righteous. And in fact, the, the book of Proverbs tells us that it says, anyone who, who declares the guilty righteous is an abomination or anyone who condemns the innocent, Proverbs 17, 15. So it seemed like God, God's going to declare the righteous, but what's the problem? We're not righteous. That's right. Cliff's got it. You're with me here. So what are we going to do? I, I mean, if it's God who justifies, he, it's, I mean, we could say, look, the world knows something about our sins. We know something of our sins, but God knows a whole lot more. So that's not good news. It is God who justifies. So why would Paul say that? Well, he's assuming what he's already said in the rest of the letter, right? Okay. So, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me. If not, just listen to what I'm going to read. And listen to what, what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 4, 4 and 5. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now, wait, wait. Hold the press. The God who justifies the ungodly. Now, how can God say to adulterers and idolaters and, and uh, worshipers of other gods... And murderers, how can he say, that's the ungodly, you're perfectly righteous? How can he declare them to be righteous? He shouldn't. 
He shouldn't. So what is God doing? Well, we have the answer that's given in the next question and in the rest of the book too. So read the book of Romans. It's a good book, worth reading. So the next question is, who is the one who, who condemns? And you might expect him to say, say well, God is. You know, he's going to say to the wicked, you're wicked. And condemn them, right? But then it says something surprising. No one, no one is going to condemn God's elect. Now, obviously, there's some sense in which people can condemn us. They can say, people can say we're guilty. But in, what he's talking about is in the throne of God, who is the one who said, I have good purposes for you, can anyone bring a charge against them that would condemn them, that would keep them from that good purpose? And the answer Paul gives is no one. How can that be? It is Christ. That's the answer. It is Christ. That's what he says in verse 34. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What it says is that Christ, he says, he identifies Christ as the one who has died. Remember, he says the wages of sin is death. But Christ died for us. Christ died for us on our behalf to suffer the punishment that was due to us. So it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared righteous, freely. And actually that word can even be translated Without reason. <laughs> in other words, there's nothing in you that, that merits that, that sentence of justification. But it is through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, through his blood. What he suffered is counted as ours. So God fulfills his law, so that as it says in Romans 3.25, he can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Without Jesus' death... Jesus, God is not just in declaring the one who has faith in Jesus righteous. It's got to be, the law has to be, justice has to be met. He cannot, God cannot simply say sin doesn't matter. God cannot simply say my character doesn't matter. God cannot simply say in the court of the universe that it's okay for people to be criminals in the universe. The law has to be met. And Jesus has met it. He's died. The, the godly for the ungodly. But then, that wasn't the end of it. If Christ was, was dead and remained dead, then what reason would we have to believe that, our, that he has paid for our sins? It would seem rather that he'd still be paying for our sins. And we would be waiting forever. But that's not what happened. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. And so he was raised for us. The Apostle Paul says, in Romans uh, 4.25, that he was raised for our justification. In other words, when Jesus was raised, it was like God was saying, it is paid for. It is complete. I accept the sacrifice. It's enough. And now in his justification, we are justified. So that's the confidence we have. If he's not risen, we don't have that hope. But that's not all. (laughs) That's not all. Because... We say that Christ has now ascended into heaven and is interceding 
for us. Christ is at the right hand of God. So if someone comes and brings an accusation against us, a charge against us, and says we should be condemned, we have Christ, who's at the right hand of God, saying, no, no, I have paid for that. No condemnation, only justification forever. Christ is interceding on our behalf. We have an advocate with the Father. We have someone who is standing there for us and arguing our case. And let me just say this. We would think Christ might argue our case if we had done what was right. But he's arguing our case even when we do what is wrong. Not because he's saying, he's trying to to get out of it and say, well, it wasn't really wrong that he committed adultery. You didn't know what he was going through, you know? That's not what he's doing. He's saying, yeah, that was wrong. But I paid for even that, even a sin like that. That's what Jesus is saying to his father, presenting his sacrifice. And so this month, we've been confessing our sins. You know, we do that in general. And as Jesus taught us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? So that's what the Christian prays. But why do we emphasize that? Why would we go on and on? Like the, the prayer last week. You know, it's probably more than a lot of us pray about our sins. It was just kind of like, it's a lot of stuff. Why would we highlight that? Not, not because we revel in it, but because we want to put our standing and our hope and our assurance of good things and blessing on a better foundation, which is Christ. And what he has done on our behalf. And so, let's then, let me just draw out a f- few things as, our, as what I would call the glorious conclusion. Not because I'm going to do it so well. <laughs> but because, because of what, what this means for us. I despair of doing it well. So, can our sin stop God's purpose for us? The answer is no. The answer is no. Why? Because we're in Christ. And Christ is interceding for us. You know, sometimes we don't appreciate this when we, when we are just going about our daily things and things seem to be going relatively well and, and maybe we haven't done something that, we, that really hits our heart or we haven't given reflection to our sin but then the day something happens where we think of sins we've committed in the past, we, we see our own failings in the present, you know, we see something go wrong in our family, and we realize that, that, that you know, we were, we were part, of this, part of this situation, and some of it was our own sin, and it grieves us to see what's happened, or whether it's in our church, or whether it's with our marriage, or whether it's whether it's something we we struggle with and continue to go back to that we know we shouldn't. And it's those times that we're kind of inclined to say, you know, I just need to go around feeling bad. You know, because man, I've really messed up and we just kind of carry in that. But it's actually those times when Christ is saying, no, don't go away. Don't go, don't stay where you are. Come unto me. Come into me. 
I love what the apostle, I was talking to a friend um, who's also a pastor. And as, I note, and as I noted last time, on Sunday, pastors do sin, right? So now you know. Um, so we were talking about sin that we committed. Struggles with guilt. And, and I was preaching on 1 John, and I realized something. In, in 1 John, 1 John 2.1, he says, I write these things so you will not sin. He says, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And I realized, like, all this stuff we're talking about, you know, the things we struggle with from our past, from our present, or what the future may hold. It's like those are the things where we can say, at that time, that's where Christ comes near. It seems like that's not what he would do. It seems like he wants to, he'd want to advocate. He'd want to argue for the people who are doing the best, right? But he says, if we sin, when we mess up, when we're having our worst day, when we've made our biggest failing, when we said the stupidest thing ever, if we sin, then we have an advocate with the Father. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And so, as you think of your guilt, as you think of the things that you've done, and you should, don't linger too long. Head right to the advocate and find the comfort. So even when we sin, we can actually have joy because we know that our righteousness is not dependent on how well we've done it. We all want to say that, but it's actually on how well Christ has done it. But then, another glorious conclusion is that we are completely justified. We are in the clear. We are, we are absolutely 100% accepted because of Christ. Whatever our parents may have said to us, whatever our wife may have said to us today, whatever our kids may have said to us today, whatever our husband may have said, whatever our friends say, whatever our coworkers say, whatever our boss says, it doesn't matter really ultimately. God says, accepted, justified, in the clear, perfectly righteous, forever, forever. That's the verdict of the court of heaven and of our Father on his people. And so we can be confident that whatever the world says, whatever we felt, we need to recognize we are accepted before the Lord. And that means if we're accepted, you know, sometimes we think, well, we're accepted, and we kind of take that in a minimal way. Like, well, he really won't, he doesn't really hold anything against me. He really won't do me anything really bad. No, what it means is he's going to do us good. He's, he wants to do us good. He wants to make us like Jesus. He wants to bring us to glory. You know, I was thinking of, when I was, when I was thinking about that contrast between all the condemnation in the world that we have, and the absolute verdict of justification in the court of heaven. I was thinking when I was in the seminary of, of going to do Bible studies at the Cook County Jail. And I was thinking, you think about people who say, these are the condemned. These are the condemned. They were in a place where they couldn't get out. They all had a sentence over them that most people were thinking they had committed. 
Though there were a lot of them, of course, who said, no, I hadn't done anything. We all know that. That's another story. But anyway, um, so, but, the, but there are people then who also knew they had done something wrong. And they had a specific uniform. They all wore the same thing. It was almost like, these are the clothes of the guilty. And, 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 the fur, and it's like, the furniture there is like just metal. It's everything stark. I mean, they have like almost nothing. Like everything around them says condemnation. But then I was remembering, and I can actually, I was remembering these guys singing praises to the Lord. They're in that like awful little room that we met in for Bible study. That was so stark. There was nothing beautiful in that, in that room other than the spirits of the men praising the Lord, you know? And I said, you know, for those men, whatever, the world will look at them and they say, the condemned, the guilty. But these are the men that the court of heaven said, not guilty, justified, perfectly righteous, forever and ever and ever. And that's what's true for us too. Who will bring a charge? Who will condemn us? No one. For in the court of heaven, we are absolutely 100% accepted. God's purposes for us are good and blessing, and even our sin cannot keep us from that conclusion.